Our scripture reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy, uh, the 34th chapter, verses 1 through 12, and it's number uh, 211 in your uh, pew Bible, page 211. By way of context, uh, we've been following um, the journey of uh, Moses and the Hebrew people um, from uh, slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And uh, here they are, they're just on the verge of entering the promised land, uh, but Moses and his generation are unable to enter. And um, that's where we find Moses this morning. Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of our Lord. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I have promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. My um, Aunt Virginia uh, took care of my Uncle Steve right up until he passed. Um, she took good care of him. He uh, had a heart condition, and um, Aunt Virginia kind of had a uh, reputation for being a slave driver, and she would make sure um, in the morning that Uncle Steve always had a bowl of oatmeal with raisins and a, uh, a cup of grapefruit juice. And, of course, um, Uncle Steve always complained, always said he'd rather have gravy and biscuits, um, but uh, he did what he was told, and he ate that oatmeal and that uh, grapefruit juice every morning, and then uh, he went for his morning walk. Um, well, due to her efforts, Uncle Steve probably lived uh, uh, several years longer than he would have left to his own devices. But he finally passed, and at the funeral, um, uh, Aunt Virginia was, uh, was shaking hands with people, and uh, she saw in the line a bunch of people she didn't recognize, um, people in their 30s and 40s, 
And uh, she was just very curious about who these people were that she had never seen a day in her life. And finally, one of them came up through the receiving line. It, it, was, a, it was a young lady. And uh, as, uh, as, as Aunt Virginia was shaking her hand, she said, how did you know Steve? And the young lady said, well, a bunch of us uh, came this morning from the local McDonald's. Uh, Steve was a fixture there. He uh, walked there every morning and get the same thing, gravy and biscuits and a large Coke. <laughs> you, uh, you learn a lot about someone based on who shows up at the funeral, right? Um, being in ministry, I go to a lot of funerals for people I don't know really well. Um, maybe, uh, maybe their relative is in the church and I feel like, I ought to go. And so I go to funerals for people I don't know really well, and you learn a lot about someone based on who shows up. Do they have a lot of family, a lot of loved ones, friends? Are they religious? Is there, is there church family there? Are they important? Have, uh, have dignitaries uh, from the town shown up to pay their respects? You learn about their hobbies, are there hunting buggies there? Are there, uh, are there golfing pals there? Uh, you learn about their record of service based on who shows up. You learn a lot about who they loved, what their values were, how they spent their time based on who shows up to the funeral. Well, this morning in our scripture passage, uh, we have a picture of what Moses' funeral was like and who showed up. And it starts with the burial service. And the burial service is attended by an audience of one. The person who's standing there with Moses, who is burying Moses in the ground, is none other than God himself. In fact, we're told that God literally buried Moses in the ground and no one to this day knows where his grave is because God was the only one there. What does it say about Moses that God was his nearest and dearest friend, the one who buried him in the ground? What does it say about him? What does it say about Moses that for the full 30 days of mourning afterwards, the entire nation of Israel wept for him. What does that say about the man? That he lived a life that touched many and blessed God. I think if we look at Moses in this passage this morning, we see the outlines of a life well lived. We see the outlines of a life that reaches others and blesses God. The first thing I see about Moses uh, this morning is that Moses remained active his entire life. Uh, the, the scripture goes out of its way to tell us that um, Moses uh, was 120 years old when he died, and yet his strength had not left his body. His eyesight hadn't even diminished. He he remained active until the day he died. In fact, we're told that uh, if, if God himself had not commanded Moses to die, 
Uh, in the Hebrew, it says, by his mouth. God, God literally took the breath from Moses' body. If God hadn't done that, Moses would have kept on going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny straight into the promised land. See, Moses never slowed down. He kept going his entire life. We all know people like that, don't we? People that remain active their entire lives. The kind of people that like the Grim Reaper shows up at their door and they say, just a minute, I've got a pie in the oven. Right? We know people like that. Um, some of you, uh, when they came and visited, met my grandparents. They're like that. They're, they're in their late 70s and they're still active. They still hike. They still uh, go on vacations. Uh, they're still always planning the next thing that they're going to do. I've always joked that my grandparents are going to be at my funeral and they're going to have their walking sticks and their fanny packs full of power bars. Their 60th wedding anniversary is, is coming up this year, and the family is seriously afraid that if we don't have a plan, if we don't all take uh, ownership of our responsibilities, that uh, they're just going to take over and plan the whole thing themselves. And so uh, we're, we're getting our game plan together right now. You know what I think the secret is? It's those people that keep going and going and going. Some of it's good fortune. Some of it's good fortune. Some of it's good habits. But I think the secret is that those people are always looking forward. When, when, when the people their age and people in their lives have sort of begun just talking about the past mostly, and have begun uh, whenever they do talk about the future, it's a future without them in it. But these people that keep going and going and going they're always looking forward. You see, when Moses went atop Mount Nebo, um, if his eyesight is as good as the Bible says it is, from the top of Mount Nebo, if he looked east, his eyes could have traveled the Sinai Desert. And he could have seen all the spots of the great miracles. And he could have relived those events there on top of Mount Nebo. And if his eyes traveled just a little further... He would have seen the green pastures of Midian, where he was a shepherd, where he spent the quietest, happiest days of his life as, as a new father with, 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 with new children. And if he looked just a little further than that, he would have seen the Nile River and peeking up over the top of the Nile River is the pyramids of Egypt and would have called to his mind the palaces of his youth. Where, where he spent time in luxury. Moses could have seen his whole past from Mount Nebo. He could have spent that time looking east, looking back. But instead, Moses was looking at west. And there west between the Mediterranean Sea and between the Negev Desert, as far back as the lake they call the Sea of Galilee, and everything in between, he saw the promised land, the future of his people. Moses was always looking forward, looking toward the next thing. And I think that's the secret to a life well lived is we never give up. We're always looking forward. We, we understand that, that 
every breath we breathe, we owe to God. And until he takes that breath away, we're going to spend every breath looking forward and doing God's work. The other thing I see about Moses in this passage this morning is that Moses was humble. It says Moses was a servant of the Lord. Servant in Hebrews, ebed. It means slave. I know some of you are thinking, take this guy's Hebrew dictionary away from him. But, but I, I love the thing. I love finding out what these Hebrew words mean. It means slave, bond servant. This, when we describe Moses as being a servant of God, it's, it's literally someone who is saying, God, whatever you command, I will do. I am your slave. Numbers 12.3 says that Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. Now, that's not a claim you can make about yourself, right? You can't say, I'm the humblest man on the face of the earth, right? That's a claim someone else has to make about you. And here's the thing. To me... And maybe to you too, we've been traveling this journey through Exodus together. When I look at Moses, I see a lot of great qualities, but I don't quite see this guy that acts humble when I look at Moses. This is someone that literally goes up to a mountain and then comes back and says, God is saying this to you. Someone who literally presumes to speak for God. That doesn't strike me as acting humble. Someone that has a staff that when he raises his staff, he can perform miracles. Does not seem to me like someone who's acting humble. Someone that uh, when he's challenged by the Hebrews, says, how dare you challenge my authority? Does not seem like someone who's acting humble. But you know what? There's a difference between acting humble and being humble. There's a difference between acting humble and being humble. I love this story of the pastor who's having trouble with this sermon. And uh, so he decides to go uh, kneel at the altar. And he's overcome by the spirit as he's kneeling at the altar. And he just looks up to heaven and says, I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. And uh, the associate pastor is wandering by and he hears the commotion. And he uh, looks uh, into the sanctuary and sees the pastor there. I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. And... uh, the uh, associate is overcome with the spirit too, and so he comes down to the altar and starts crying out, I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. Uh, the two of them are making racket, and the youth, uh, the youth minister hears it, and uh, he comes in, and then he goes to the altar, I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. Then the music minister, then the children's minister. Um, finally, uh, the, the church custodian, the janitor, is passing by. And he, he sees the whole church staff in there. I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. And, uh, and, and the, the janitor is overcome. And so he puts down his broom and he gets to the end of the altar and he starts crying out too. I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. And then uh, the associate minister looks over at the music minister and says, now look who thinks he's nothing. Right? Now look who thinks he's nothing. 
there is a difference between going out and being your best and saying, I'm nothing, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm a worm. Oh, I despise myself. There's a difference between acting humble and being humble. Being humble is putting others before yourself. Being humble is putting God before yourself. I love the way Pastor Rick Warren puts it. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? Humility isn't about despising yourself and by saying, oh, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. Still, you're spending a lot of time thinking about what a worm you are. You're still thinking about yourself. That's not humility. Humility is uh, just getting out there and serving other people. And when we look at Moses' life, we look at someone who could have stayed in the palaces of Egypt. But when he saw... Um, when he saw a slave being beaten by his master, he was so offended that he intervened, despite what it meant for him, despite what it meant for his comfort. He was putting others above himself. We see someone who, uh, who was happy and sitting pretty uh, in the pastures of Midian, ha- had a job, had a wife, had kids, And he heard the voice of God say, go where I send you. And he went. He put put the path of God, he put the path of delivering others above himself. We see this time and time again with Moses. He may not have acted humble, but he was humble. He did put God first. He did put others first. And so I believe Numbers 12, 3, when it says Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. In this age of internet narcissism where everyone is their own personal brand, where leaguers put self over service, humility is a rare, rare thing. If you want to live that life well lived, that, that, that life that, that, that reaches others and blesses God, it begins with humility. It begins with being God's servant. The other thing I see in this passage is that Moses passed his wisdom on to others. See, it says he laid his hands on Joshua and Joshua received the spirit of wisdom. Moses was passing his wisdom on to others. As a youth pastor, um, people often come to me with ideas for things that the youth can do. And they're usually well-meaning, but a lot of them just sound like chores, right? And so people say, you know, why don't you have the youth come over and clean out the Sunday school closet? You can, uh, you can serve pizza afterwards. It'll be fun, right? That's, uh, people always think if you just have pizza, that, that makes it fun, Right? <laughs> Or they say, why don't you have a bulletin folding party? You have pizza afterwards. It'll be fun, right? The thing is, is a youth group is not a chain gang. I can't just call them up and make them fold bulletins. Like, I have to plan things that they'll actually come to. And I'm sorry, the bulletin party isn't one of those things. 
But it's always with the pizza. Just have pizza. It'll be fun. Someone once suggested to me, why don't you have a night where you teach, um, where you teach the youth group proper manners? Uh, you'll show them how a, a table is set and where, where, you know, which fork to use. And then they said, you can have pizza afterwards. It'll be fun. Like, yeah, so fun. Let's teach them manners and then eat greasy triangles with our bare hands. And I always say the same thing. What I should say is, is why do you hate teenagers? Why do you want teenagers to hate church? But what I say is, I'll give it serious thought. I'll give it serious thought. And then I go, hmm. Right? A couple weeks ago, uh, I was uh, at Central. I'm the youngest member of the seniors group. And uh, I always go to the seniors group because they, uh, they, they have good food. And so, um, so I'm the youngest member of the seniors group. And a guy in the seniors group is named John Sheeler. He's about 88. He came up to me and said, I have a great idea for the youth. And I thought, here we go, right? And, uh, um, and he, started, he started saying, you know, um, I've noticed that young people don't uh, manage their money very well. And I've taught people how to manage their money all my life. And I'd like to, to sit down with the young people and teach them how to open a savings account and how to balance a checkbook and how to manage their money. Um, and I said, I'll give it serious thought. And I'll be darned if I didn't actually give it serious thought. Later, I was thinking, you know, he's right. Uh People don't know how to manage their money very well. And not just teenagers, like young adults, like me. Um, there's a lot of, uh, lot of mistakes I've made in life that if someone had really sat down and taught me how to manage my money, I wouldn't have made those mistakes. And then I started thinking, that's actually a pretty good thing. That here's someone with all this wisdom and he wants to pass it on to the kids. And so I called them up and said, let's do it. We'll serve pizza afterwards. It'll be fun. (laughs) But you see, passing on our wisdom to others is so important. It's one of the things we do as a church that that I just believe no other institution can really do. The way we pass on our wisdom to the next generation. And I'm not talking about standing around giving unsolicited advice. What I'm talking about is mentorship. It's about taking someone into your life and mentoring them and passing your wisdom on to others. That's what we see when we look at Moses and Joshua, by the way. It wasn't this one-time event where, uh, where Moses just lays his hands on Joshua and suddenly he receives the spirit of wisdom. When, when, when we read the book of Exodus, we see that Moses time and time again is including Joshua in whatever he's doing. He's mentoring him until the time comes that Moses is gone and Joshua can take the baton and keep on going. You see, it's not about giving unsolicited advice. I've learned as a youth pastor that if I invite people into my life, eventually they'll invite me into theirs. If I say enough times, hey, why don't you come do this with me? Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm going shopping for uh, 
the, the Halloween party. Why don't you come along with me? Kind of thing. If I invite people into my life enough times, eventually they invite me into their lives. Eventually they ask for my advice about something. Eventually they say, I'm struggling with this. What do you think I should do? Right? And so when I'm talking about passing on your wisdom to others, I'm not talking about, you know, just a standing, uh, singing on your porch and shouting wisdom to people as they drive by. I'm talking about inviting people into your lives. Take them hunting with you. Take them hiking with you. Take them to the store with you. Say, we're doing this thing uh, for United Methodist Women. Why don't you come help? Invite them into your lives, and I guarantee they will invite you into theirs. I love the story of Anthony the Abbot. Um, He's this hermit that lives in in the desert. And uh, all these people come and they go on pilgrimage and they ask Anthony Abbott's advice. And he he was known to give wonderful advice. Um, But there's this one pilgrim that comes year after year after year and he never asks advice. He just uh, spends the day with Anthony the Abbott, just eats with him, just uh, spends the day with him. And finally, as Anthony the Abbot is getting older and he's realizing uh, there's, you know, uh, I don't have that many years left. He finally says to the pilgrim, you know, you've come year after year after year and uh, you've spent the day with me, but you've never asked me for any advice. And I don't know whether I'll be around next year. Don't, don't you want some advice from me before you go? And the pilgrim says, it's always been enough just to see you. It's always been enough just to see you. You see, when you're inviting people into your life, and, and, and you're, you don't even have to be like, like sitting them down and saying, now let me tell you some wisdom. Sometimes it's just enough for them to see you. Sometimes it's just enough for them to see what you value by the way you comport yourself, by the way you behave, by the things you talk about and care about. Sometimes it's just enough for them to see you. If we want to live this life well lived, if we, if we want to live a life that, that touches others and blesses God, we need to pass our wisdom on to others. And then finally, above all, we see that Moses was intimate with God. The scripture said Moses knew God face to face. He maintained his intimacy with God. That is the most important. We're we're told in the scripture that that when God, remember last week we talked about Moses seeing God's glory. And after Moses saw God's glory, his face just shined. His face just radiated. In fact, he had to wear a veil because the shine of his face was so distracting, right? He had to wear this this veil. And uh, have you known someone like that who, uh, who their face just shines because they've been in the presence of someone. You want to see that? Um, get, uh, get on social media, get on Facebook. Um, I saw a picture on Facebook of, of Joey looking at his daughter for the first time. His face was shining. It's a cool picture. Y'all need to like blow it up. Um, you want to see someone's face shine? 
Ask like uh, a new uh, a new wife. Just ask just ask her how did your husband propose to you, right? And it doesn't matter if if her husband proposed during the commercial during the NASCAR game and said you want to get hitched. It doesn't matter. She will tell it like it's the most beautiful love story since Romeo and Juliet, right? And her face will just shine as he just as she describes it. You know anyone in your life who just, who their face just shines because of how well they know God, because of the intimacy they have with God. There's just something about them that, that they just radiate God's love. I know a, a woman at Central named Frances Williams. We call her Shorty. She's uh, in her 90s. She radiates God's love. And um, she was uh, she was my the word I'm looking for. My prayer partner, when I went to El Salvador, um, uh, she was supposed to pray for me back at home. And sometimes you, people are your prayer partners or they're going to pray for you and you're never really sure whether they're actually going to do it, <laughs> right? Um, but with Francis, I knew. I knew Shorty would be, uh, would be down on her knees every morning to pray for me. Someone would have to help her back up. But she'd get down on her knees to pray for me. And I, I just knew it because she radiates. She radiates God's love. And you know that she's someone that has that intimacy, that face-to-face intimacy with God. See, in the end, that's all that matters. In the end, when, when Moses is being buried, somewhere in Moab, we don't know where, it's just him and God. In the end, it's just him and God. I think it's so beautiful. The first five books of the Bible, we call it the Pentateuch, the Torah, the five books of Moses. They're this complete story, and it begins at the beginning of time, at the beginning of creation. And it goes through the story of Abraham where God says to Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars and I will give you the land that I have promised you. And that promise goes through the patriarchs. But then, uh, but then the Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt and it looks like the promise is imperiled forever. Then comes Moses and God delivers the people from Egypt. And they, then they wander in the desert and then, then the story ends with the people gathered in Moab. They're as numerous as the stars and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. It's a complete story, the first five books of Moses. And it ends the same way it begins. Remember how his story begins. God personally, physically, creates man out of the dust. Then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. It's just one man and God. And then how does the story end? One man and God. God takes his breath from his nostrils and returns him to the dust. The beautiful picture of intimacy with God, of a life lived with God. What did, what did God say at that funeral when he buried Moses? It's an old Jewish tradition that says God called all the angels as he buried Moses and he said, Moses said of me, 
There is none like Yahweh. So in turn, I bear witness, there is none like Moses. Wouldn't you like to live that kind of a life? That kind where God says, there's no one like this guy. There is no one like that woman over there. Wouldn't you like to live that kind of a life? See, Moses was buried. No one knows where, and there was no stone to mark the grave. No one could come visit that grave if they wanted to. There was no stone. But stones are overrated. Have you ever been to an old cemetery, like, like the kind that, that, that people have forgotten it's there, all the grass is overgrown? You see a bunch of stones, some are standing up, some are crooked, some are laying down. You might look at one of those stones. Some of them you can make out the writing, and some of them the weather has worn the writing so much, all you see is these faint impressions where there used to be a name and a birthday and a death date, and now it's just been washed over by the weather. Stones are overrated. In the end, Moses didn't have a stone. What he had was far greater. He had a story. He had a story. Long after the stones are forgotten, the stories are still remembered. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses didn't have a stone, but he had a story. He had a story. So the question for us this morning is what will our story be? Long after our stones are forgotten, what will they say about us and the way we lived our lives? What will your story be? Will they say that you were always looking forward? Will they say that you were a servant of God? Will they remember the wisdom that you passed on to them? Would they say that you knew the Lord faced face, what will your story be? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.